That's Allegra Levy, jazz musician, composer, performer, and all-around beautiful, badass woman. She's teaching me one of her new songs titled Lost and Found from her upcoming album. Liba is in Miami this month doing a play called Golem of Havana and crushing it and appearing on the local news stations there. Please forgive your nasal host this month. I was deep into a head cold when we recorded. The following combines two of my favorite things, friendship and singing. And with that, welcome to episode three of Be a Good Little Girl. Dear friend, thank you for patience while I heal. You understand just how I feel. With all of your hope, I would crumble up and give up the fight. Moving on seems like something so trite, but I swear that I'll try to regain what is left of my heart. Can I restart? Can I restart? And I restart. Da doom day, da doom day, da doom da 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 da. I really like the song because it's like everything I've ever wanted to say to like a good friend ever. Yeah. It's changed. I wrote this five or six years ago. Oh wow. Yeah. But it like rings true still. It so. still rings true. Yeah. Even singing it with you, it's kind of like. Yeah. This weird, like, meta... Yeah, I know. <laughs> it is weird. <laughs> we haven't sung together in a really long time. No. We were, like, the best alto twos ever. We were the best alto twos ever. Yeah, we were. Those were the days. Those were the those days. Those were my glory days. Those were, those were definitely good days. I miss it. I miss it. Um, okay, so... Very there's one lyric in this, though, which is kind of... I Sometimes I sing it, sometimes I don't, but it's uh-huh. like... Dear friend, don't think I can stand it one more day. No, there's no God, but can I pray? Help forget all the love and the sweetness in his eyes. They were green. They were all that my life had surmised. But I swear that I'll try to regain what is left of my heart. Can I restart? Can I restart? Can I restart? Da, 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 da. You said I'm not alone. I am alone. You said you're here, but for how long? You said I'm not alone. I am alone. You said you're here, but for how long? Yeah. So anyway. What part of that do you not sometimes say? Well, sometimes it's like, no, there's no God, but can I pray? It could be a little controversial. Not really. No, I mean, I think if it, as long as it rings true at the time, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I don't think you're making any kind of statement. No, and I'm not (laughs) trying to make a statement that there's no God. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think when you're heartbroken, you kind of think that way. You do feel that way, and that's definitely... Whether you believe in God or not. <laughs> right. Exactly. And But you're also kind of... 
praying to something for sure. something to work out. You're kind of wanting everything to happen at once, you mm-hmm. know. But also the other thing is like restarting again. You know, mm-hmm. I think often it's really hard to regain everything that you lose in a relationship because you realize that from now on it's going to be different. Right. Well, there there's this, um, it's a song, something like that. And it's like, love is something, if you give it away, you end up having more. Mm. Which I always think about, and I'm like super heartbroken at the end of a relationship. Yeah. And I feel like, I know that this is going to make my like heart bigger and stronger, but it doesn't feel like that right now. Yeah. It feels kind of, what was your lyric? It was, um... Uh, no, there's no God, but I'll, can I pray, or... I'll try to regain what is left of my heart. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Man, it's so funny because I, you know, I just had a session before you came over, and we're, I was showing him my new tune, which is called Misery Makes the Music, and he immediately looked at the title, and he said, oh, that's just like you. <laughs> and I, I, you know... But it's true. I mean, the truth is a lot of my inspiration, unfortunately, has come from extreme moments of needing relief. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it hurt, God, it hurts so bad, what could I do besides for just sit in the piano and start to wail a little bit? And mm-hmm. usually something comes out from that experience. Um, and it's been hard. It's weird, because it's like, I don't, you know, the song basically says, misery makes the music, so just leave me here to write. And my boyfriend keeps saying, are you trying to break up with me? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not. But, I, but I'm frustrated because why can't I also find inspiration in these happy moments also, mm-hmm. you know? And why do I have to be in this deepest, darkest place to have something pretty come out? Right. Well, we've um, had, yeah, we've had that conversation before. We're like, yeah. I'm nervous. I'm happy. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. Right. I don't know what yeah. that means for, like, my own creative work which I get well yeah I mean creatively I think that we've both written more work when we're down oh yeah yeah we've amassed more but I think part of my growing up is like um being a functional human being and being able to write those things because sometimes right, the amount definitely. of misery that I was feeling no. made me a completely dysfunctional person. Right. Well, th- there's a level. It's the it's the perfect in between level of misery and you know complete misery and then being functional. It's like you're at the point where you're able to deal with what's going on. Yeah. And you're really depressed, but you're you've gotten to this point where you can sit down at a mm-hmm. piano or you can sure. start singing something or you can sit down and start writing something. Um, I don't know if it's the same for you, but when I'm when I'm having a really hard time and I I need like that relief, it's kind of the only thing that makes me feel better. Oh, a hundred percent for me. Is like if I can make something out of it. Like, it if I can make something out of if I can create something in place of the extreme emotion that I'm feeling, if I can create mm-hmm. something positive, this is the thing, like all of the miserable music that I've written, mm-hmm. I feel like hopefully is a service to someone who one day, and you said this to me once, like one day if you're just sitting around and you feel like shit and you hear that song and that person is just as miserable as you are, mm-hmm. you're like, wow, she really understood what I was going, what I'm going through right now. Mm-hmm. She understood it. She was there and you kind of create this weird invisible community of people where <laughs> they're relating to the songs. I mean, like Chet Baker has been done a million years, but the way that he sang any tune really because it's all fairly depressing sounding Mm -hmm. but for for me it helped me through so many moments (laughs) and I was like wow that's so great like this turned this terrible feeling into something really powerful and inspiring and Mm -hmm. that's kind of what 
the goal is, I think, of music. That's what I, why I do music, because I see it as turning a positive, getting a positive out of a negative emotion. Oh, I'm sick with the fear that I'm never gonna be something. Drowning in the crowd of the hungered and persevering. I wanted to say that when I listen to Lonely City, it makes me feel like I'm in on something. Well, the song was supposed supposed to be a little cheesy. In, in a way, I used to say that the vibe should be like a Jimmy Buffett summer sure. song. <laughs> and that's kind of like, I was trying to express that at many sessions with different mm -hmm. musicians to try to get that feel. But it is supposed to be kind of the mantra of a New Yorker. Mm. Um, and it's about, I mean, it was written about when I was in a long distance relationship with my boyfriend who was in LA at the time, my ex-boyfriend in LA at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was living in New York and I just moved here. And like, uh, I guess the lyrics are like the land of the hungered and persevering. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's kind of like they're hung, you know, talking about this kind of hunger mm -hmm. for, the desire for success and mm -hmm. that's kind of what the city was for me at the time still is um although mm -hmm. it's changing a little bit but I really like listening to it because it makes me feel both like understood and like I can let myself step away from that for a minute that identity right this like striving Be always like go 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 push I yourself just boundaries. by, like, listening to the song makes me feel like I can step away from that for a second because you can identify it in yeah a way. I think that's half the battle is to identify the feeling. So this is like, this is a song off of your first album. Yes. Lonely City is off my first album entitled Lonely City. Mm -hmm. um, and now you're getting ready to go in to record a second album. I'm recording my second album uh, in three and a half weeks. Um, mm -hmm. It is a totally different project in many ways because... Um, it's being produced by the record label Steeplechase, um, and I'm excited to be on that, you know, to be a part of that label for this project. Um, the first album that that was with Steeplechase it as was, well, right? It was distributed by Ch Steeplechase Lookout, which is a different mm -hmm. section of that label. And oh, okay. I had already created the project once they took it under their wing. Mm -hmm. So this is their being involved in the creative process, which mm -hmm. is definitely going to change some things, um, and I think for the better possibly, mm -hmm. but this album is going to be a lot more art organic, mm -hmm. a lot more of an organic jazz album where literally we are putting incredible musicians in a room and I'm putting my tunes that are more or less finished <laughs> um, in front of them and we're just going to play it through. We're not going to rehearse before or anything. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be in the moment. It is going to be less produced and less arranged in mm -hmm. terms of the first album the, the material had amassed over six years, and it took about two years to get it polished enough together to really... Mm. I mean, some of it took the last two weeks before the record, but most of it was a huge, long process. This long creative process to make it all kind of go together. Um, this time, it is far less uh, thought through, I would say. Not because I just want to haphazardly put music out there, mm -hmm. um, but 
I have been playing these tunes for a while, so I feel mm-hmm. like I just want to experience what it will be like to play these music, this music with really stellar musicians and the first time see around, where I'm at now. The first time around, did you feel like there was more at stake or like now, like you've had your first album, you got really good reviews. Yeah. Like New York Times and Downbeat. Yeah, like all you, these different. Yeah, so in a way, you sort of like established yourself. Yeah, that, the point of the debut, your anyone's debut album, is to establish yourself. I think, mm-hmm. and so I, I had co-producers, and um, you know, John McNeil was an amazing mentor, and really co-produced heavy-handedly. I would say, like he was mm-hmm. definitely very involved in the pro- proje- uh, process, and helped me a lot in finding who I am as an artist. Um, and I'm still trying to find that out, of course, but that will, I will never know. Um, but you know, it's an ongoing process, but a lot of my friends will say, you know, I'm not ready to record yet because I want to really take my time with everything. And I totally agree that you should take your time Mm -hmm. with each piece, but I kind of want to measure where I'm at now. And Mm -hmm. I did, you know, I wanted to lay some stuff down where I'm at now, two years later after recording the first one. Knows no boundaries, but skin will be bound to betray, and it aches every day. A lot of this, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the album actually references living abroad a lot, um, in one way or another. Uh, some of the music was written while I was there. Um, I was living in Hong Kong for a year. It was an incredibly life-changing, astounding experience in so many ways. Um, as a musician, I played almost every night. As you know, and I was also much more independent than I've ever been um, as a musician and as a just a person. <laughs> um, and you know, traveling around to different countries, I did so much travel, and it really helped me hear things differently. Mm-hmm. I feel like musically and otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not necessarily like the quantity of time in between albums, but sort of like the quality of it or like how yes, just so much happened. I feel like you do have a lot to say again. I, yeah, so much has happened. So much has happened. I, you know, personally and career wise, not necessarily, I don't know. I've changed ideas about, how I am as a musician in many ways, I think. I don't know. It, it was different to be abroad and still be working on your sound with a totally different scene and people who are not listening to the same stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, in New York, going back to Lonely City is you get kind of bogged down by everyone in this tiny little music universe. I mean, it's pretty big, <laughs> the arts community in New York. It's enormous. Sure, it's the but biggest jazz one. is not huge. I mean, it, it doesn't seem that way it feels pretty it feels small it feels (laughs) small but it it's also got a lot of different sections and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like being in a public school or something (laughs) versus a private school and so Mm -hmm. I feel like I was in this public school and then I got transferred to this jazz private school but it wasn't like music conservatory it was like (laughs) this twisted dreamland of music Mm -hmm. private school even like separate from you as a musician but like as a performer was because you were performing every single night 
So that kind of changes completely. I don't know. The last time I saw you perform was in New York, like post Hong Kong, and I felt like there was this new ease to your performance that I hadn't really seen before. And I'm guess I'm guessing it comes from Hong Kong, but hundred percent. I mean, I think I was in this position where I showed up, and it's funny when you're in when I was in school in mm-hmm. high school and middle school. We and know I, each other from then. We know it from, we know each other from then. I I've met, known Allegra since I was nine, and I met Leslie when she was the star of Annie. <laughs> She hates me for mentioning that, but you look really good in a red curly wig, and I'm sorry, I'll always remember that. But anyway, the point is, my whole life leading up to college was all about being a very enthusiastic performer, and there were Mm. a lot more influences from musical theater, and I took a lot of theater classes, and I was very involved in theater, and so my performance was kind of more about being... I don't know, musical theatery. What sure. how do you say that? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean, do you say? Performative. Yes. Right? Exactly. Performative. And then I went to <laughs> New England Conservatory of Music where everybody has pretty much been trapped in practice room for the last, you know, twelve years trying to perfect their craft. And I was shocked to find out that the you know, the hip thing to do is to stand when you're singing a song and completely kind of succumb into yourself with your hair in front of your face <laughs> and kind of in, just, you know, be as introspective as possible, just be <laughs> as introverted as possible, kind of singing all these strange melodies to yourself and the microphone is hidden everything. And you want to be as removed as possible for the audience. That's kind mm. of what is cool. Um, Quote. <laughs> yeah, Quote. and I, I didn't, I mean, I really despised it. I mean, I was yeah. thinking, what is that this? That feels like really not your personality. It's not my personality, and I, but I think it was hard to kind of be this performative person in that mm-hmm. sphere. Yeah. Um, and I tried, but I lost a lot of my confidence in that area. Mm. And then I showed up to Hong Kong, and all the people who've come are incredible performers. I mean, they're corny as can be. They are <laughs> they are so corny and over the top and insincere. Mm. And I mean, one of my things, though, is that I really like to be sincere with my performance. Yeah. So, and kind of approachable, you mm-hmm. know? I, I'm trying to be approachable and sincere. And I got just an immediate vibe, like, you really need to get your act together, you know? Mm. <laughs> you, you really need to really be have better talking with the audience, you know, and be more of a performer because right now it's not working. Mm. Well, there's a whole, that's a whole different audience. I mean, you have a language barrier and a cultural barrier and yeah, you do. You have to be like a little more generous in your performance, I think. You do. Your delivery is incredibly important and it's, it's important in New York. It's important wherever you Mm. go. I mean, if you ever go see a jazz concert or any concert or Mm. any play, I mean, you have to open yourself a little bit more to the audience, but I think without overdoing it. I think there's a fine well, line. Yeah. There's a fine line. There's like the performances that you were describing in college of like this like introverted, like I'm singing this weird melody to myself. Like <laughs> I don't exactly. want to see that ever. No. I don't because I'm, I'm, it starts to feel really self-indulgent. Well, yeah, because it's not art for the masses. It's art for the individual. And it's interesting. I've always been a huge fan of Amy Winehouse. I mean, I'm not one who knows a lot about pop music these days. (laughs) Um, You know, I know as much as I might know, but Amy Winehouse was definitely someone that I was like, whoa, she Mm -hmm. is coming out of nowhere and she's clearly a diehard jazz singer. I mean, clearly. And then the documentary Mm -hmm. came out 
And so I watched a documentary on the plane um, recently, and I was pretty... I definitely related a lot to it, I have to say, because mm-hmm. she was a jazz singer. She was, mm-hmm. she was, that's exactly what she says. And then she does this interview and she says, you know what, the jazz world is just too elitist and mm-hmm. I want to make music for everybody so that everyone can enjoy it. And that is exactly how I feel. And it's mm-hmm. hard sometimes to stick with this kind of, is jazz elitist or is it for the masses? What is it for? Is it my purest form of expression? Yes, but is it mm-hmm. everybody else's? Not necessarily. So... I don't know. I, I mean, I listen to certain, like, jazz standards. I'm not, like, a huge... I don't go to jazz concerts. I don't necessarily, unless Allegra is singing in them. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but like, I was listening to, like, Goody Goody the other day. Yeah. I'm like, what is not relatable about this? What oh, is yeah. elitist about this? Well, I mean, jazz was not always It elitist. wasn't. And it wasn't always about not being a good performer. It was always about being a good f- performer. Mm-hmm. Um, and your songs, I feel, are very relatable, completely. That is the goal, is to have it be accessible, to have it have a universal... I mean, I've always said that music, and especially jazz, specifically jazz, I feel like, is pretty universal when it comes to its language. Mm-hmm. And so the goal is to keep it accessible, to keep it modern, but because jazz is becoming more modern these days, but to also... And it was modern when it was, hip, mm-hmm. you know, when it was pop, it was modern, you know. So I don't want to keep it modern and keep the lyrics and the stories relatable to people our age or people from our generation but and generations beyond. But I also want to stay true to some of these melodies that are, you know, timeless. Like a heavy headache of calamity. Anxiety, anxiety, how do you get a hold of me? Trick my eyes so I can't see, kiss my lips and I can't breathe. Cold-blooded anxiety, won't you set me free? Being in Hong Kong was just more proof that it is a universal language because Mm. I was singing at the Four Seasons at the Blue Bar there, which is kind of the coolest place to perform in Hong Kong. It's like the really premier bar there. And there are a few, mostly in hotels, but the audience is very international. It's not just Hong Kong Chinese. It's like very, people come in from all over. It's such a business hub. Mm -hmm. So you get anyone from any, each table has a different nationality, a different language. Mm -hmm. Everybody's coming from all over the world. And the challenge is how to how to bring them in, how to make them interested. And it doesn't always work. I didn't always mm-hmm. succeed. But I did come back to New York with a different idea of how to be a good performer. Because even though I didn't always respect all of the corny tunes that were in the <laughs> Hong Kong songbook, like mm-hmm. Just the Two of Us or... Just the Two of Us? Just, just the, the Two of, of Us. <laughs> we can make it if we try. Just the Two of Us. Hey. You and I. It's pretty catchy. I could, it is. <laughs> and it's actually a pretty good song, but I refuse to play it because I just thought, man, I just, I don't want to do it. It's pretty cheesy. It's pretty cheesy. And also, Feel Like Making Love is another one, which I didn't oh, even know. Oh, no. It's like, that's the time. Feel like making love. Or something like that. <laughs> and it's so, it's so 19, late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's immediately what I thought of. Isn't just the two of us? Isn't that like Will yeah. Smith? It's completely... 
I mean, it's just sickeningly not hip. <laughs> I don't know how to, exp- how to say anything else. And I didn't want to do it, and I didn't really... And because of that, I was like, man, these people are not cutting edge. They're not, you know, trying to be progressive. They're not, mm-hmm. you know... But they really did care about serving their audience, and they had mm-hmm. their performances together. Mm-hmm. And now that is important. And it does seem like in Hong Kong, frankly, that, like they honor jazz more than we do here in the States. I mean, it's definitely a better paid gig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not to, well, that's not, what I mean by, like, honor. I mean, yeah, it's true. It's, it's, I mm. was a living, working musician over there, and here I have a day job, so. But it's actually kind of yeah. cool. It is cool. I work for the UN International School, which okay. houses the, <laughs> the UN, most of the UN's kids, mm-hmm. so, but it could be anyone. It could be someone who is, you know, the ambassador to a country's kid, or it could be the driver of the ambassador to a country's kid. So okay. it's it's like there's a huge amount of diversity. It's the most international school I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of makes sense that you landed there after being in Hong Kong. It, it Well, it led, everything in my life led to this job, I feel like, in a way. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes my resume make sense in, mm. in many ways, because I used to work a lot with human rights. And, you did. And I was really wanting to be involved in the UN, and, and then I was doing the music thing, and then I moved to Hong Kong, and I started becoming more internationally aware, and then I got this job in New York at the UN International School, and really all I do is I work in the music department, I help coordinate the music department, and I'm doing more businessy elements, which mm-hmm. is really surprising <laughs> for somebody who did so poorly in math. In math, yeah. In prob stuff. Neither of us did yeah, very we did well bad in, in prob stuff. I think you still did better than I did, but I still... Uh, it's probably just because I worked, like, overcompensated. <laughs> <laughs> for what I didn't have. But anyway, I I work with some really amazing musicians mm-hmm. and we try to give these international kids a chance to have a well-informed music musical background, a musical foundation and they don't always stay, so maybe they go back to their countries mm. of origin and but they bring, hopefully, some really strong musical feelings back with them. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the goal of our department. I love our department. It's amazing. It's hard to... It's hard to go to work every day in a 9-to-5 type situation where mm-hmm. I've avoided it so long, for yeah. so long. <laughs> I've avoided that. I'm, like, I'm fighting it. Blood, sweat, and tears in this fight against taking a 9-to-5. It is. And, you know... It is hard. It's not easy on the body. It's not creatively stimulating. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet you're still going into record next. Like I'm in the next still three going weeks. into record somehow. I I do think. How is that going to work? Well, I you know there are practice rooms at the school that I can use, and seriously, mm-hmm. and I practice when I can, and That's I amazing. sing during the day. Sometimes it probably really annoys my coworkers, but I you know mm-hmm. I listen to stuff at my desk, and I. It is definitely a challenge. The first record, I had no job while I was recording. I took two wow. months off from work, and I literally just slaved over that music. So it'll be interesting, and I think organic is definitely the key theme. Mm-hmm. Um, that and it and it might. I hope it doesn't suffer because of being my attention being divided. But mm-hmm. I still talk about the music with the other musicians in my department. I still mm-hmm. am surrounded by music all the time there, and it's not like I'm completely. It doesn't sound like it's totally soul-crushing at all. No, it's not. It's inspiring, because a lot of these people are playing everywhere, and they're doing really 
amazing mm-hmm. things. And some of them are a little bit, you know, like they wish they could play more and not teach as much. Um, but, you know, it's not mm-hmm. realistic in the way that the world has taken shape, and I would like mm-hmm. to fight it, but I also like having health benefits, so. Yeah, having health benefits is nice. Well, it's hard. In a way, those things... to survive, Well, man. you need the... You need basic things to survive so that you can do your own work. Yeah. Right? The There's music... The, the music provides only so much. Right. And right. then... And, of course, the goal is to not... Is to be able to have the music yeah. cover all the bases, right? Right. But in reality, that's really hard, especially if you live in New York, I don't think anyone is doing that, though, anymore. I, I, I think there is no mm-hmm. musician that I know who's not involved in some other, mm-hmm. maybe, form of either education or, mm-hmm. you know, even if you look at pop stars today, they're, they're still <laughs> going on these sure, shows. Like, it, yeah. You know, they're like, oh, now we're going to be a judge on um, the voice, the voice or, or something. And that's also an I educational... perfume. <laughs> exactly. Nobody is just mm-hmm. one There was a talk thing. that Lady Gaga did. Like at Yale, right? And she was saying she's like, I don't want a fragrance. I mean, I think it's interesting because I'm pleased in a way to say mm-hmm. actually because I've seen that in order to be a successful musician, you have to be an educator. You have to be um, maybe doing a job like I am, or you have to be able to be your own manager or run a comp- record label or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for actors as well. You have mm-hmm. to maybe you have to write, direct, produce, <laughs> or maybe you have to you know, do commercials and you have to do, you have to do a lot of different things. But Mm -hmm. I like that kind of patchwork way of life. I think the Mm -hmm. essence of the nine to five is that you only do that. Right. And then you go home and you watch TV. Interesting. I think multitasking is like a more feminine attribute. It's like, oh, women are multitaskers. And sometimes that has a negative connotation, but I feel like in the end, it's actually very positive. No, I think the modern helping. feminist woman is somebody who has a job, who provides for themselves financially, and who also can be a mother, or could be a nanny, or could be looking really hot, or whatever. I mm. mean, there's... And also be doing something creative, and also be doing charity work, and mm. also... You know, the, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the goal, right? Right. I mean, the goal is to do everything, and to have mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. It's definitely overwhelming to you know, go to work all day, and then come home and feel like I want to be practicing, but then I also want to make dinner for my boyfriend, mm. and then I, you know, I also want to watch The Bachelor, and I also, <laughs> and I also which is so feminist, apparently. Is my it? cousin, My cousin who writes for Bustle wrote an, an article about how um, The Bachelor is actually much more feminist these days, the franchise huh. is feminist, because you have people who are standing up against slut-shaming, and Hmm. All this interesting stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, everything's feminist now. Um, mm-hmm. But I also want to be a creative band leader. And, I, you know, and I also want to be doing these projects that are demanding. So mm-hmm. trying to do it all, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> but I asked my brother once, because who's also, he does everything. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's a renaissance man, to say the least. He is a renaissance man. He really man. is a res- renaissance man. And, and he does everything. And... I said to him one day, I said, you know, I really want to do everything too. How do you do everything? And he said, oh, it's easy. You just don't sleep. Oh. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> that sounds like a terrible life. <laughs> it sounds like a terrible life, but it's also important to do as much as you can while you're here. Yeah. I think that's why I'm doing this next album, mm-hmm. too, is because, I mean, I got the offer and... 
they said, listen, you can do it now or you can do it in May. But my mom said, you know, opportunities don't just wait. Mm-hmm. And I was a little disorganized, but I thought, you know what, I can do it. I can get it together. So, so this first album, maybe not so organic, um, maybe like a little more like planning and labor went into it. Yeah. Um, and to me, that also means like there was perhaps more of a vision going into it. And so for this one, I was like, oh, like, I wonder if she knows like really what she wants it to like look like or sound like or, or is it really just like, let's see where we are right now. I think I do have some idea of what I wanted to look like or sound like. I, I do also see it. The first album had kind of a story. If you, you could kind of find a plot line throughout from start to finish. I even arranged the song so that there was kind of a plot line. Mm. And I feel like this one even more so in a way, Mm -hmm. which is weird because I feel like the story that I'm trying to tell now is once again coming from this place of heartbreak and then finding new love, moving to another country, restarting, starting over, um, being happy struggling with being happy, um, which is kind of an interesting concept. And then, you know, and then just being here and being present in New York Mm -hmm. again. Um, and so there is a story, there's a plot line to it for sure, but it, it is also where I'm at now. And, and I'm also more interested in what happens when you put a lot of amazing musical minds into a room. There's something that I love as a musician is my favorite thing. And I'm sure you love this too, as a, as someone who's a performer and actor and director and writer, is collaboration. And on my first album, it was definitely a collaboration, but this is going to be more of a collaboration with people I don't even really know, Mm. which I'm kind of excited about. And Mm. it's more true to the jazz art form, which is improvisatory at its heart. And Mm. the songs are going to be, you know, they're supposed to have kind of a standard melody with more modern lyrics. That's the theme Mm. again, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, but there's going to be like an R&B tune, there, there will be something kind of poppier. It'll be a kind of eclectic. Mm-hmm. So eclectic, organic. When you're in these rooms, so like in your first album and now this album, these like collaborative rooms, are you kind of like the leader of the room? Um, are you? Or is it like, are the producers more that way? Or I mean, most of this music is yours, right, that you wrote. Right. So how do you, like, negotiate that? Or are you all kind of on, like, the same level? This is just, like, coming from someone with not really a musical background other than choir. (laughs) Well, in this case, a lot of people have been doing this thing of hiring people who have a lot more experience to play Mm -hmm. with them. Um, And I've toiled with this idea. I've I've thought, I don't know if I want to do that. Maybe I want to just work with people who... I work with all the time. There is an opportunity to learn when right. you set it up, when somebody else sets it up so that you can play with these people who know so much. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I could say that I would be leading it, but it's only the only amount that I'm leading it is that I've brought people together and that I'm handing them the tunes they're going to play. Mm-hmm. After that, it's definitely a full-blown collaboration. Yeah. It's like, oh, I have an idea for this. We should do this. Or they just play and whatever ideas they have coming from everything they've learned and Mm. all that they know comes out. And so, yeah, I mean, I want to be more of a leader on this, but it's definitely going to be at its core a collaboration. Lastly, uh, can you just like state your name and 
where you can find your music, um, so performances coming up. Sure. Yeah. Oh, right. Um, so I'm, my name is Allegra Levy. I'm a jazz singer and composer. I am, my first album is called Lonely City. It's out on Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, although I don't get any. <laughs> oh, don't. Yeah. yeah. Not Spotify. We can <laughs> forget Spotify. <laughs> uh, forget Spotify. Well, it's good. I like. I want people to listen. So anyway, sure. it's oh. yeah. My website is www.allegralevy.com. This next album, I'm thinking of titling "Lost and Found." I have a show coming up at the Belgian Beer Cafe. Oh, on, awesome! Yeah, that restaurant is super cool, and it's really easy to get to, and they have awesome beer. They have uh, Belgian beer. They have Belgian beer, as they the name would frites. imply. They do. They have palm frites, mussels, etc. And 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 they will have live jazz. Um, they do have live jazz on Tuesday nights, and we'll be playing there February sixteenth from seven p.m. to nine, to ten p.m. Oh, great! And there's no cover, mm-hmm. and we will be playing some of the music that we will record the next weekend. So this is kind of the pre-recording show. And, um, that is super cool. Yeah. I will be there. So you should come. Yeah. I would love to see you there and you can eat lots of French fries and listen to jazz and it's cool. And you can actually talk to while mm-hmm. you're being there, listening to you kind of makes me feel like I'm in a, a different era. Yeah. It's really nice to like go order a beer, maybe eat other people's French fries, uh, and just listen to Allegra saying things that are quite timeless and universal. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. So, thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you at Belgian Beer Cafe. Yay! Da-doom-day, 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 da